Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello, big interview listeners. I'm Neil White, and from Backpage, this is the first in a brand new series that you'll find on this channel during the summer, Revista de la Copa Mundial. We're going to be walking through Spain's World Cup win in South Africa 10 years ago, looking at the tournament in general, but our focus will be on the eventual winners. The reason for that is that I'm joined by someone who was with them, and these are not my words, dear listener, these are the words of Gerard Piquet, every step of the way. Graham Hunter, good morning. Yeah, um, what did they used to say in South Africa? I think it was um, a yoba, a yobi, or something like that. Uh, or better still, sharp, sharp. That's what they'd say to you, sharp, sharp. Some of you may have read Graham's fantastic book on the three tournaments that Spain won in a row, the two Euros and this World Cup that we'll be talking about over the next ah, month and a bit. I wonder if it's useful for you to explain to the listeners why you had the access that you had to this team, not just at the World Cup that we're talking about, but at all of these tournaments, and in fact, every international tournament since then. It's all thanks to a person I despise, um, and I'll name him. His name's Borja Bilbao. And during 2008, he was a kind of media officer for Spain. And in 2008, um, I had been assigned by UEFA to be a reporter with the Spain team, Uh, but a reporter who would do not only interviews, and match reports and daily. It was the first uh, time I was aware of something called tweets. Um, but I would also have access to a camera crew. And I remember back in 2008 in Neustift, um, fixing up with Paloma, the press officer of Spain, and Cesc Fabregas that we should have a one-on-one with Cesc. 
which even then was still pretty valuable. And it was outside the main press tent called a carpa in Spanish. And even though this was the Austrian summer of 2008, it was pretty grim. Um, I've written before that we were up to our knees in mud and the surrounds of the training ground all the time. Um, there were ticks um, which could give you cephalitis if you weren't inoculated. And of course, Sergio Garcia, uh, the player, um, Santi Cazorla and I, I think we're only three people there not inoculated. And... Um, there was a guy, this media officer, Borja Balbao, was a stroppy, um, irresponsible, uh, bumptious git. And he reckoned that the camera crew I was using, he didn't like. So he barged into the middle of our setup with Cesc Fabregas, with the player standing there ready to be interviewed with crowds of fans about 50 metres away, maybe less, and caused a big fuss and a row. And the camera crew complained to Cesc said look I can't stand around in the in what's about to be rain waiting for this to sort itself out so off he went with us to interview and Boca Boba was removed from the camp and the Spanish FA said well geez we we need a media officer now we need somebody to step in and from HQ in Vienna I got the phone call look would you mind and from that moment I was pegged to the Spain team all the way to the final of that tournament. Two years on from that rather bumpy introduction, I was chosen to be Spain's um, FIFA television uh, TV producer, which meant that you got sent out to South Africa, a couple of days training in Johannesburg, and then onwards to Pochefström, which is a university town about an hour and a half interior, so let's say slightly south uh, west of Joburg. And the tasks, Neil, were to, to basically literally go every step of the way with them in that we, myself, my camera, my cameraman and uh, a, a sort of fixer, gopher, assistant cameraman, driver, um, would fly with the Spain team, lug our gear on to planes. Going to matches is one thing. Coming back from late night matches when you can't miss a beat, that was our task to make sure that we weren't the ones slowing down the process of getting through the airport or getting approval from the cops or getting... The, the flight to take off. So flying with them, living with them in their um, team hotels prior to matches, but also being um, within a five-minute drive of the training camp and every single day that we were allowed to, filming training, filming interviews, doing special promos with the players individually or with the, the, the staff. And therefore, as far as being integrated with a team uh, goes, I don't think even in subsequent tournaments I've ever been as close to being cheap by jowl with the the Spanish FA expedition and I, and I mean by that the the coach the directors the the press staff the marketing staff the players and the physios the kit men our access the level of trust was high the level of responsibility was really high but I look back on it now even if we you haven't yet talked about the the ultimate triumph I look back at it now as one of the most intense, one of the most enjoyable, happiest periods of my working life. Yeah, I should say that the book I mentioned before was produced by Martin and I at Backpage. We also work on these podcasts with Graham. So when we were working on that book, it was my privilege and it was also to my great surprise, like hearing these stories firsthand from, from Graham and realizing as a former football journalist, the proximity that that existed between you and 
a team that were already European champions, you know, they were already at the absolute top of their game. A lot of them were European champions at club level as well by this point. I mean, we're going to get there. Graham ends up in the, um, the winning changing room after a World Cup final. But that's just a really fantastic illustration of a proximity that, that really stretched, as you've just described, over the 50 days that the team were together. So we're going to be tracking this tournament, Spain's progress through this tournament in real time, more or less. So all that's coming up today as a little lead in, a little teaser. We're going to stop and focus on the player who's going to become the poster boy for this tournament. The guy at whose feet the ball is going to land in the dying moments uh, of the World Cup final and produce a moment that is hard to forget even 10 years on. They're outnumbered in the Netherlands half, but they still kept the ball with Iniesta. Now Torres. Iniesta's in the middle. Torres is trying to find him. It's broken for Fabregas. Now it's Iniesta. This is it. That's the goal. Spain have surely won the World Cup. So that's Andres Iniesta, the goal that won the World Cup for Spain. Graeme, you and I have talked about that goal, this guy... I don't know how often in the years since, but just recently you've started to talk to me about this period in his life in a completely different way. And it, it's odd because I've always thought that you already knew everything um, about Spain and about Iniesta. Turns out it wasn't the case. Probably the best way to begin is, is to go back. It's impossible to overstate how hurt Iniesta was by Rijkaard leaving him out of the starting lineup for the 2006 Champions League final in the Stade de France in, well, Saint-Denis, it's, it's, it's not in Paris. Xavi ultimately says if, if Iniesta hadn't come on at halftime, we were losing, to, we were going to lose to the 10 men of Arsenal, we weren't going to win. Um, Van Bommel and Ed Milson are chosen in front of Iniesta, Iniesta has always said there are players who started that game who weren't as good as me, in as good form as me, who hadn't behaved as well as me, and and I should have started. He's never pointed out, but they're, they're really only two candidates. He comes on in that game, they win. He comes on and he's special, and irrespective of Belletti and Etu getting the goals and the brilliant impact Henrik Larsson has, it's Iniesta's match, and by a distance. But that is no balm, Neil. It's no salve to the, not just fury uh, or anger that he felt, but the it, it nagged him. It nagged him so much that by the time the 2008-9 season is finishing and they've won the cup against Athletic Bilbao at Mestalla in, a, in a, just a gigantic performance having been 1-0 down and then just torn strips off Athletic. They've, they've beaten Madrid 6-2 in a match that they have to win in order to just keep uh, Los Blancos away from snapping at their heels. Thanks to Iniesta's goal at Stamford Bridge, they've made it to uh, the Champions League final. And therefore, although not everything is about the treble at that stage because they still have to tuck away the league, which they're focused on, there is a treble beckoning. And what's more, there's for Iniesta, who again breaks the mould here because he is your ultimate club man, team man, yet he's obsessed He's utterly obsessed by making sure he's fit to start against Manchester United in Rome and yet against Villarreal. And the, the weirdness of this is that against Villarreal in his final league game that season, he completes the 90 minutes. 
Now, somebody got it wrong because during the end stage of that game, when he could have come off, he's done so much damage to his right thigh muscle that there's a two centimeter tear. Now, I don't know if you could just use your, your fingers now to, to, to mark out two centimeters and then touch that to your thigh or your calf and think what would happen to me if I had a two centimeter tear. It's, it's destructive beyond belief. Now, Iniesta has decided without any possibility of being um, dissuaded that he will play in Rome, that he will heal until the, the morning of the game. He'll take an injection and he'll play under any circumstances. Now, his recuperation with Emily Ricart, um, the club physio brought in by Pep Guardiola, is, is tremendous, but he reaches Rome. Well, and take the ball, Thierry Henry. And I, I interviewed Thierry Henry last week again, and we spoke about it again. And he said that to this day, he's still unclear what, how he played or how Iniesta played. Thierry Henry told me that he lied about the state of his fitness in order to play. And that Iniesta, people now know that the wide uh, figure that, that, that that's put about about what Nicky was in that he was he was only sixty percent fit. It's known that Emily Ricard said to him, "If you shoot off your right foot, your your right thigh will snap. It will ping. You won't be able to walk off the pitch." So he doesn't shoot, but he wins a loose ball off a Michael Carrick header, runs a third of the pitch, sets up Eto for the. Opening goal after nine minutes and after the match, Alex Ferguson said we were beaten at 1-0. We were beaten at 1-0. After the match, Wayne Rooney walks into the Manchester United dressing room and said we've been beaten by the best player in the world. And he names Iniesta. Yet the, the cost then is just utterly off the scale. The damage he's done to that right thigh is so great that he won't really be properly fit again until the World Cup the following summer. The second enormous thing that's happened is that a combination of what a psychologist who we'll talk a lot about, Ima Pooch, says is like postnatal depression. Some people, in her view as a sports psychologist, she says suffer after achieving greatness, after pushing themselves beyond where they thought they were able to in order to achieve a goal, a wave of, well, what's this worth? Or what's next? Or who am I really hits you? Some people it bounces off. Some people it never comes to. Some people it affects to a degree that they can cope with. And some people it devastates. Iniesta was one of those that was devastated because the combination of his physical debilitation allied to the fact that he was hit by a wave of what must be called depression irrespective of triumph meant that he came apart not just as a sportsman but as a human being so I think you began this by saying to me you know that he's the iconic figure and the ball will drop to him yeah fine but we are talking about a man who in all honesty probably shouldn't have made it to the World Cup that's 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 number one of the astonished things that are about to happen. You're talking about all this taking place before 
we get into an incredible personal loss that takes place in the preseason of the following season. Um, that's the preseason of 09-10, the World Cup season. This is purely, this has been isolated by the psychologist to refer to this feeling of, I thought this was everything I wanted, so why, why aren't I happy now? Yeah, but also, that, that is exactly right. If we paint an accurate picture of the guy who's going to score the greatest goal in La Roja's history, we have to, not for dramatic purposes, we have to put layer on top of layer. Because the moment when he lifts his jersey, spoiler, <laughs> when he scores the winning goal in the World Cup final, and it's Danny Harkey always with us, is written there. Danny Harkey was a Catalan born in Barcelona, Anders Iniesta is not, but they were very similar ages. They played together in a youth team. And if you've read the book about um, Spain and their, their treble triumph, I make a big deal of how, for example, the iconic friendship between Real Madrid's Ica Casillas and Barcelona's Xavi Hernandez, which was a fundamental saviour to La Roja through, through, through difficult times, that there was hands across the divide, friendship across the divide. That happened. Cesc and Sergio Ramos, for example. Danny Harkey and Iniesta were, were the same. They were Barca and they were Espanyol, the two sides in the city of Barcelona. They played together in the winning European under-19 championship side of 2002. Um, they lived closely enough together that they often uh, gave each other lifts to either events or sometimes to training. They were close. They were really tight friends. So it hits in the 8th of August, Espanol, uh, Raul Tomudo, the iconic modern-day scorer for Espanol, has left. He's no longer captain. Harkey's made captain literally when they come back to training. So he's been captain for, I don't know, about a month. And they're in Florence. They're about to play a friendly against Bologna. They've trained. They've trained with no ill effects. He's on the phone to his wife in his hotel room. And his system shuts down and, and he dies. And sudden death in footballers is something that the medical authorities have become better and better at preventing, predicting, coping with things that cause it. It, it came out of the blue for this fit, healthy, um, elegant, handsome uh, leader. And the impact is all for the Harke family and and for those teammates around him who saw him come in off, off training and, and shower and go to his room and never come out again. But it hits Iniesta, a close, close friend, really badly. And I've talked to him about uh, where he's talked about his, his destiny against me or is there a greater force doing this to me? Now, depression causes you to, to think in strange ways and say strange things, but it wasn't a selfish sense of loss it was devastation when his physique is failing and his mind is weak and Danny Harkey dies this becomes a, a typhoon during this um, what Spain calls a state of alarm uh, Iniesta and some of the journalists he's most friendly with uh, with whom he wrote his not autobiography but a book that's where he participates in what effectively becomes a biography of his career <clears throat> comes out as the a film called The Unexpected Hero, El Héroe Inesperado. Uh, you know, I was startled because we we hear his mother and father talking about this illness that Iniesta has for the first time. 
they talk about during the summer holidays where he's won the very thing that he was desperate to achieve, a starting Champions League final. He's got the trophy, he's got the medal. And during that summer, before Danny Harkey dies, Andres Iniesta begins to disintegrate, doesn't want to eat, isn't happy, goes to bed early, locks himself away quite a lot, is, is morose and, and patently unhappy. And as the injuries begin during the season and his mental state continues to go downhill, the thing that knocked my socks off, his parents are living with him and he's courting the woman that that will eventually become his wife. And there's a night when Enders Iniesta, it's hard to say out loud, but he comes down and says to his parents that he needs to get into their bed for the comfort of being in bed with his parents when he's aged, I don't know, 26 or 27 or whatever it is. And they say to him, son, what? And he said, I'm not well. Now, at a time when in sport we're asking footballers to speak out, to, to find somebody to confide in, not to commit suicide, not to... Um, hide these this darkness away and put on a front. I I think it's still right now extremely brave of Iniesta and his parents to speak about this. There are, you know, in the film, it's a greater um, spotlight on the dark corners of what was going on because we we all knew that there was a serious problem, but how serious? I I wasn't aware how debilitating um, and the degree to which people around him were lost. I think as well it's really important to, to touch on the fact that there's a psychologist involved here called Emma Pooch. That the club said to him, you must go and see Emma Pooch. And she talks about him at first saying, I'm lost. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, I've lost all faith in myself. I don't, my game is gone. And he says, can you make, can you put me back as I was and she said no by the end of this you'll be better you'll be a better player and you'll be a better person and they start on the process and she helps it changes but at the same this is where I think this is an epic epic human story during the process of Emma Pooch psychologist trying to put his mind together his body keeps failing him I think the is it the thirteenth of April they're training, and while Spain and the World Cup is very, very, very much on Iniesta's mind because he thinks he's not going to get there, Barcelona really are in a position where they they probably could and should be winning a second treble. They get knocked out of the cup too early because they slip a little bit. Can they still win? League and Champions League, yes they can should they have, yes they should have and Inter at this time are are a rising force, coached by Mourinho brilliant, one of the brilliant periods of of summer transfer has in the the modern history of football which took place in the summer of 2009 um, with Mourinho largely the architect rather than the club behind it all has made their squad and their side very very good indeed, Iniesta's trying to be fit for the game against Inter Milan, and in a training drill, which is a simple ball out to the wing, cross ball in, finish somehow. As he comes in to finish, his thigh gives way again, and there's there's footage of him 
just trotting past the goal a little bit, stopping. You can see the realisation in his mind of what's happening. He walks about six paces to the chain link fence at Barca's training ground, leans on it as if you were being um, searched by a cop, so feet planted, leaning slightly forward, hands up high, and he's just fucking sobbing. It's 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 an it's the image of a man who thinks I'm I'm beaten. He's broken. And on that day nobody can speak to him and he's on that day he's given up. And the countdown if if you set a clock, if you were really a brutal end of all reality TV producer and you'd just put a clock on that image and you'd say from that day the 13th there's a month and 10 days until Spain's World Cup squad leaves the country to go to the training camp um, in Austria. So an irrevocable deadline, no, but pretty damn close to it. And Iniesta at that stage has had a problem which has been dogging him since May the previous year, which is repeated twice, which will allow him to play four minutes of football the rest of that season. He thinks he's cooked, Neil. He thinks he's cooked and he's not going to South Africa. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. 
when you say that after this shooting drill, he plays four minutes of what's left of Barcelona's season, you're talking about nine games. So he misses almost all of the only nine games that are left before those players go into World Cup mode. In the book that you wrote, Spain, the inside story of Larraca's historic treble, you've got a direct quote from Iniesta, and it goes like this. I'd managed to create, let's say, an image of an Andres Iniesta who played at quite a good level, and the fact that I suddenly couldn't perform like that really overshadowed my life. I got to the stage where I no longer had confidence in myself. I'd lost certainty that I could still do the things I'd always done. It was very tough. I'm pretty sure people outside the club didn't realize how bad it got. And for our purposes here, it's that last sentence that I'm really interested in. I'm pretty sure people outside the club didn't realize how bad it got. And at this point, we're not just talking about Iniesta. We're talking about um, Del Bosque as well. He's the one now with the responsibility. Iniesta's Iniesta. He's going to try and make it back if he can. Or he's going to try and give Del Bosque a decision. But that's all he can do. In the midst of this blizzard of... of um what Iniesta feels is divine intervention against him. Um, the, the, the two lights at the end of the tunnel turn out to be, well, in terms of the people that he relies on to give him space and time are, are Guardiola and Dabosky. In that Dabosky, Neil, as you rightly point out, doesn't, he desperately wants Iniesta ready. He doesn't know he's going to win in the World Cup, but it's clear that on form, Iniesta is one of the top four or five players in the world at that stage. So he, the great thing, as I'd already pointed out, is that Guardiola, on a daily basis, gives Iniesta enormous space to rediscover himself and is, is enormously patient. And at a time when, as you pointed out, Guardiola desperately needed Iniesta back to play against Jose Mourinho's Inter, which didn't happen. He didn't play in either of the semi-final ties. But Del Bosque, first of all, um, is is hugely patient and then takes a risk. Now, why did he take the risk? Not just on ability. Spain's doctors, um, Salaras and, and Cota, don't have access to Iniesta at all. They have to go through the club and the club are giving him, you know, a, a pretty pessimistic picture. He might heal in time for the flight to Austria, but these are repetitive injuries. He doesn't seem to be able to supersede them and... It's it's still hurting him psychologically. So when they report back to Del Bosque, Del Bosque is sitting at a distance thinking, well, at what point does my faith or my patience or my optimism, what point do they run out? So it's of great benefit to Iniesta. And it's a, it's a key part of our story, Neil, that Iniesta doesn't have a coach who says, okay, I have to cut my losses. There are alternatives. Okay, so if you will allow me a slight indulgence, what I know where you're going here. <laughs> what, what are the <laughs> what are the alternatives? Because as, as great and as deep a squad as, as Spain have, the particular riches lie in the midfield area, and I'm just intrigued to know if you know who the first phone call might have been to had. Barcelona's doctors and, and, and the Spain doctors and De Bosque and Iniesta decided that it just wasn't going to happen. Well, it's really, really clear evidence because in the in the year um, which has led up to the Confederations Cup, which is held in South Africa, then the Confederations Cup, Marcos Senna um, has remained really important to Del Bosque. And during that club season, 
albeit that Senna is is due to, to um, turn 34 just after the World Cup final of 2010, at 33, he's managed to play, well, let's count them. He played 30 league games. He played in the Europa League five times, a couple of Copa del He's touching on 40 games, um, age 33. Now, you can say cup half full, cup half empty. Should a 33-year-old therefore be tired if Iniesta hasn't made it, whether it be for um, physical reasons, psychological reasons, or De Bosque running out of patience and optimism? <clears throat> Senna is a proven winner. From in, in my humble opinion, probably he was Spain's player of the tournament in 2008, although the technical panel gave it to Xavi, and I'm never going to argue about Xavi winning an award. But Senna, to me, probably was Spain's most important player, I felt. The story behind his character, his attitude, um, is is enormous. And therefore, he's a really good candidate to go. Maybe one thing, Neil, is that he hadn't been scoring as many as, as usual um, from midfield for Villarreal. And he, in essence, in, in theory, is a pivote which they've got in Busquets, which they've got in Alonso. And, and not for this episode, but coming up, there's a big debate about how many pivotes they need in a team, never mind in a bloody squad. So I, I think you're already crying tears into your vanilla ice cream right now because had you been counselling Del Bosque, you might have been saying, get Marcus on the plane, right? Get Marcus on that plane. I felt hard for Marcus Senner in, in the summer of 2008 as, as somebody who hadn't seen much of him before then. Uh, it was kind of like a where have you been all my life moment. Um, agree for me, the, the player of the tournament as, as Spain won that one. Um, but you're telling me, you're telling me he wouldn't have been call number one. I, I think <clears throat> there's another guy right across two pegs away from him in the Madrigal changing room. Who is the guy who missed out when Iniesta went? Because poor old Santi Casorla is his litany of injury woes really begins here. Now it, it doesn't threaten his his mobility and his career until he's at Arsenal, but he has a hernia problem during the season at Villarreal, which means that um, he's only started sixteen games. He's played twenty four times. At the end of the season, in the last game before Spain's flight takes off for the training camp and friendlies in Austria, Casola scores twice. Um, he's got just back to the peak of form, about two or three weeks too late to, to oust somebody else from the squad, say Javi Martinez, for example, maybe Juan Mata. But what I think adds really persuasive evidence is that since Del Bosque's taken over from... El Sabio de, la, de Hortaleza, um, the wise man of Hortaleza, Luis Aragonés. If you look at the the friendlies um, played in... Well, first of all, in the Confederation Cup of 2009 in South Africa, as preparation for the World Cup, uh, Casolas plays five times. During um, the Euro qualification, which will take place after the World Cup, which he doesn't go to, he plays you know five times in, in 2010-11 in qualifying. In friendlies in 2010, he plays three times. Casorla isn't just the go-to man if Iniesta isn't fit for the World Cup. Casorla plays all the games on either side of that World Cup. Yet, because he's had a little bit of a struggle with the hernia problem, because he hasn't started all that many games, and because Iniesta is fit, 
Dabowski opts for a clutch of uncapped players, takes them, and both Senna and Casorla are left behind. But if, given their experience, given that they are both Euro winners from two years previously, and given that at that stage, what is... Um, Santi would have been 25 at that stage. Goal scorer, a wriggler away from tackles. He's the guy who probably most resembles Iniesta in that squad. He's it, David Silva apart. He's the one, Neil. He's the one who doesn't go and who must have been broken up. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really important, I think, to look at how Del Bosque uses Iniesta later on because generally he's not sitting next to Xavi as he as he often was then for Barcelona not always correct but he's he's further forward in the in the front three not the midfield three spot on spot on yeah which which adds to the argument about you, you don't play Senna there and if you've got a double pivote in Busquets and Alonso which is what you're referring to poor old Marcus who, who, when I've interviewed him about this he, he still feels we've talked about this twice now once over drinks <laughs> and, and once in an interview situation and he feels hurt he feels badly hurt he feels that Aragonés showed a faith in him that the media never had and they won the tournament and he feels that Del Bosque when it came to it just lacked a bit of faith now maybe Del Bosque thought winter in South Africa muddy pitches a long hard campaign if we win it a guy about to turn 34 that puts me off but I think you've nailed it in his mind's eye, if he believed that the midfield was going to be um, Busquets, Alonso and Xavi from the beginning and that Silva and Iniesta might play wide of a striker and it wasn't going to be um, Senna. It was going to be Casola who could have played that role if you wanted um, to... Iniesta doesn't make it. He's, he's broken mentally or physically. He doesn't go. Can Casola play uh, wide left like Iniesta did? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. So he was the main victim. Interesting. I mean, we'll start to not talk about Iniesta if we keep on going down this track, but I'm looking at that squad now. And as you, men- as you mentioned, he's got um, Javi Martinez in the squad, who is your kind of backup to the backup pivote, perhaps. And you've also got Juan Mata, who is the, the guy that could play in the, in the wide position in the front three or a push in the midfield as well. So I guess those are the, those are the guys that Cazola and... Um, and Marco Senna, in the end, would have had their eye on saying, you know, really, De Bosque? You know, th- those guys over me? Spot on. He opts for youth and athleticism in the backup posts in the squad where, yeah, he's like, well, not only can Mar- Javi Martinez play centre-half and midfield, does he get goals, does he defend corners and score from corners, not only can Mata play up front, false nine, either position wide, he could play as a top of a diamond in a midfield foot... These things come into your mind, flexibility. Pedro as well, I don't think has had a cap. Now, I, I think he went for youth athleticism. I think for a guy who's viewed as being traditional, across the rest of the squad, even though he's counting on Iniesta being on the flight, he said, I want guys who can run through the mud. I want guys who can, at the end of a season, run past tired opposition. And it didn't it didn't come to it in the case of Mata or Javi Martinez. But Pedro's another story and one we'll come back to. Okay, but guess what? Iniesta makes the plane. He is far from 100% at this point, so mentally or, or physically, but he's on the plane and there is an artifact that played a big part in the stuff that you wrote about this tournament in the book. And do you want to tell us about the DVD 
that, and I guess in 2010 it would have been a physical DVD that Iniesta was sliding into a MacBook or something on that on that flight. It was, it was. You're right. It, I've seen, you know, I've seen a, a copy of the the homemade sort of Hewlett Packard printer cover for the CD and not the DVD. Effectively, Emilio Ricard um, is this uh, holistic um, physical trainer who was involved in uh, Iniesta's recuperation between the Villarreal 3-3 draw and the Rome Champions League final. They've become extremely close. They're friends. He's currently working with um, Iniesta in Kobe in Japan. That's how close they are. But you led into this section by talking about the fact that he understood that while Iniesta was rickety physically, there is no way that he was fully ready for the training camp and there was a risk involved physically but a minimum was a calculated risk and we have to take into account the fact that thanks to Imapuch there are semblances of the real Iniesta that gritty determination that gets into play in Rome when he, he he shouldn't have been he probably shouldn't have gone to Rome he should have been at home taking physio never mind on the pitch some of that determination is back but what Emily Ricard sees is that there's a guy who's still lacking in belief so when Valdez and Iniesta are sitting next to each other on the plane, this time not to um, to Austria, but eventually once that adventure, and it is an adventure in Austria, um, has taken place where you know Iniesta gets injured again against Poland and is now a real threat, a real threat that he goes to South Africa but doesn't make the first group game, which is against Switzerland. Ricard sends him off with this DVD and the DVD is Phoenix from the Flames. And in each instance, what is shown is, first of all, a guy who's now known to people in Britain, Manel Estiarte, who was a water polo god in Spain, is still widely considered to be amongst the candidates to be the greatest water polo player there has ever been. I, in the book, I compare him to Messi, and that's fair. So he's a Catalan, a proud, hard... He's In sports terms, he's one of the hardest men I've I've come across. And in Barcelona's Olympics of 92, he leads the Spain side. He's a Catalan in his home city. And they're nine seconds away from the goal. They lose a goal. They lose to Italy an extra time. Disaster. Estiarte is iconically pictured there, weeping, destroyed, humiliated, feeling embarrassed. And four years later in, in the Coca-Cola Olympics of Atlanta, he leads Spain to gold. And that resurrection image is followed by Fernando Alonso, okay, Asturian, unlike um, Iniesta, a Madrid fan, but crashing, I think, in the Brazil Grand Prix at Interlagos and crashing spectacularly. But the images fade to him driving faster slaps and winning the world title as the youngest driver at that stage ever to win it. Resurrection, again, coming back from appalling circumstances. And finally, I think there are epic clashes between Nadal, again, <laughs> Madridista, which, to be fair, Iniesta once was. I'm laughing because he's a Barca icon at the stage. He's watching the DVD. But he was a, when he was a kid, he was a Madridista because of uh, Michael Loudrop. But it's, it's Nadal crushing Federer and then Federer coming back to win again. And the, the, the youngest to Grand Slam across all the, t- the titles. It's resurrection. And then there's the shot of Iniesta 
the last images on the DVD are shots of Iniesta struggling, breaking down, and then there's the shot of him filling Petr Cech's top left-hand corner at Stamford Bridge to put the club through to the Champions League final of 2009, and then the trophy lift with Iniesta lifting it. It's, it's a motivational video, which now when you describe it, it's pretty black and white, pretty simple. But Iniesta wasn't used to watching things like that, and he has attributed that for giving him an I-can-do-this feeling as he flew to South Africa. And when he speaks about it, and he emphasises it being as the last thread of his recuperation, an injection of vitamin C, belief, the C being C for confidence, on its own, it would have done nothing. Applied as the final ointment, it was vital. Okay, so that plane is now on its descent to South Africa. Graham Hunter, are you on board? Are you actually on that plane or did you hook up with him later? <laughs> they're, they're, not, they're not that stupid. Why would you curse a flight like that with me causing... I mean, this isn't the moment. If I had to tell you about my flight to Brazil for that World Cup, boy, that was Animal House brought large. Um, no, the, t- the team the team fly out on an Iberia um, spacious airliner and they touch down in Joburg and get a bus to Poch. And in that time, I'm in Johannesburg. Uh, we're being trained in... How do you edit the material you get? How do you how do you code it so that we can find it with all the millions of images that will come rushing towards the Central HQ in Joburg during a I don't know a six week World Cup? Um, we're being taught things about security. We're being told things about um, protocol for how to deal with the team. Um, I'm meeting um, the Shadow, um, uh, our driver, and Miami. Um, our my brilliant cameraman um, Adam from uh, Melbourne and we're setting off to Pochestrum in a people carrier packed full of massive equipment which will be a pain in the arse to haul around South Africa in on trains, planes and automobiles uh, but which we need in order to be able to, to film in a newsy way to film in a training reportage way and to film interviews beautifully lensed, uh, to make fit feature content. We need this massive, massive tonnage of um, equipment to haul around with us. And while we are not far of catching up with the Spain team, and we arrive in Poch maybe several hours uh, before them, and we film them um, coming in, and we get there, and we... We filmed the fact that the local um, ANC mayor has uh, has spent thousands of, uh, what is it, in South Africa, Rand, extending the military uh, airstrip so that they can, uh, Spain can land at Pochestrum instead of Johannesburg if they wish to, while we're in Pochestrum ahead of time to find out that the training pitch that they've built specially was nearly washed away completely in flash floods in the late spring. And they had to sandbag the Moy River, the beautiful river as it's called there, um, in order to stop it washing away the, the seedling pitch, uh, which they've laid specially. All these things have been going on in Pochestrum before Spain arrive. We get there a little bit ahead of them, do some filming, and they pitch up in Poch. But um, was I on the flight in? Sadly not. But I 
I still stick to my conviction that that was a really good thing for Spain. <laughs> in that case, you will see these players in Poch of Stream. We'll see you guys in Poch of Stream for next week's show, which is week one proper of the 2010 World Cup. Um, looking on the fixture list, we have got Spain, the reigning European champions, versus Switzerland. That shouldn't be any problem at all for this multi-talented Spain team. So it might not walk be... Walkover. Yeah, yeah walkover. Walk yeah. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe trouble for um, the minute of Spain in the land of the giants. We'll see. Okay, for now, thank you very much for listening to this first episode of this trek back through the 2010 World Cup, 10 years on. And Graham Hunter, who was there first time around, thanks for doing it all again. Shop, shop. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.